Hello, I'm Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. So as a father, I joke all the time whenever somebody, you know, mentions some little piece of pop culture and I'll say something along the lines of, yes, that's my proudest moment is I taught my sons about X. And, you know, it can be the smallest thing. But I am actually legitimately proud that I got you guys to Green Day. And oh, in yeah. fact, I got you to Green Day twice. Twice. Once with Tucker into the mosh pit. That should count. Oh, yeah. For almost three. And I legitimately got your brother three different times to see Green Day live. Yeah. Yeah. No, we are a, uh, a Green Day-centric family. Uh, we kind of uh, missed their initial boom in the early 90s. But, you know, we were <laughs> You were all, busy being born. I was busy being born. And, uh, you know, Truman hadn't been born yet. And you were busy raising me and Truman and... Uh, you know, they really have had almost three separate segments to their career at this point, you know? Give us the recap. So you have kind of the, the late 80s, early 90s stuff where, I mean, at the very beginning, they're just a SoCal punk band, and then they get signed to a major label because major labels are just scrambling in the aftermath of Nirvana to yes. try and find anything counterculture, like anything yes. that sounds vaguely like Nirvana. Yeah, well, anything punk. Yeah, and so Warner Brothers finds, you know, these three, you know, punk losers and, <laughs> you know, lets them release an album called Dookie. Because <laughs> that's what the kids are into. And it charts like a mofo. It yeah. lights up MTV, which still matters at that point. Yep. Uh, it sells millions and millions of records. They're headlining festivals. They've got an incredibly successful tour. They uh, they're kind of the centerpiece of uh, Woodstock, the, the the Woodstock redo. Yeah, Woodstock would have been that would have been ninety five, ninety four, ninety five, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, that's the one where they had gotten a big mud fight. Yes. And they start throwing mud at the stage, and Billy Joe very famously grabs a piece of mud that's thrown at him and just takes a bite out of it. Like, <laughs> I mean, they are dangerous. They are truly. Yeah. You know, these are guys are not really able to be tamed. They are very old school punk. Yes. Um, God bless. And very dismissive of the old school punks. Uh, you can still watch clips of Billy Joe on MTV in the mid 90s. Uh, what's he sing? He sings, I am the Antichrist. Buy some more of me merchandise. Like he's making fun. Like he has no respect for the Sex Pistols. Whenever they do a Sex Pistols cover, both then and today, as soon as they finish up playing whatever Sex Pistols cover they did, they go, "I think we did that better than they did." Like it's it's they have no respect for their their predecessors. I mean, these are kids who are raised on Screeching Weasel and the Buzzcocks. You know, they, yes, they have no interest in in you know whatever's across the pond yeah, and grandpa yeah and uh, yeah grandpa rotten has nothing to teach you know mike dirt Trey cool and billy joe and they follow that up with insomniac insomniac does well it's fine makes some money but we're and then there's see. the gino soundtrack well they're out there they're it's just a remix of one of their songs oh, okay. um you know, they, they put out uh, Nimrod, which I like a lot. I think Nimrod's a really tight album. But again, you're just kind of seeing a slope downwards. They're still making lots of money, still charting, but it's not, you know, dookie levels. It's not explosions. And then Warning comes out, which is a big stylistic break. It has, like, you know, acoustic tracks. Like, it's, it's you know, they're talking in interviews about being inspired by Dylan and, like, Oh my God! Like yeah, that's a big sea change. Yeah, now, and it's been point, almost ten years at that point. At what point do you jump in? When do you get introduced to Green Day? Oh, it's American Idiot, which is what we're building to here. Really? Folks. I thought you were in before that. Nope, not in before that. I ret- I do my homework. I go back, but huh, no, no, no. Okay. Uh, right. I get shown American Idiot by 
my cousin Tucker, big shout outs to Tucker, and also my good friend Matthew Peck was really into the album. Okay. Right. Uh, shout outs to Matthew Peck. And uh All right, sorry, so I jumped so the second phase. Yeah, well the second phase is is American Idiot and everything that comes like right after that. I mean I would say it's the second stage of their career, oh. you know, because they have to re, you know, they completely rebrand themselves and, and okay. are reborn. You know, they, they, their contemporaries cease being um, stuff like Blink-182, which was the last tour they went on before American 8. They did the pop disaster tour where they and Blink-182, Blink-182, kind of their misbegotten children, yes. are co-headlining where they right. alternate nights. Who's the main event? And they don't like each other. Yeah. You know, Green Day has really no respect for Blink-182 and, in fact, has made songs mocking Blink-182. And Blink-182 were kind of dicks to Green Day. And yeah. and you can see all that chronicled, by the way, in an amazing documentary called Riding in Vans with Boys. It's free on YouTube. Look it up. It is incredible. It features Billy Joe, lead singer of Green Day, actually branding someone, like a oh. person. <laughs> like with like, And uh, the way they do this is they just get a, a poker from like the hotel and they all just put their lighters up to it. Because they're like, oh, we're all drunk. You want to brand somebody? Like that's that's the end of their thought process. Okay, I can't condone that. You yeah, know. no, no, no. We can't. We're not condoning that on the podcast. We're saying go and look it up for research purposes Wait, to understand. So isn't that their nadir? Isn't that sort of the bottom? Yeah, that's or? absolutely the bottom of their stuff. Yeah. So they start working on another album in like oh three oh four mm-hmm. called Cigarettes and Valentines. Mm-hmm. Urban Legend, which has been maintained for years now to the point where I think it is actually true. Yeah. Their master tapes of, of Cigarettes and Valentines are just stolen. They're just gone. Huh. They wake up one day, all the master tracks, you know, they've still got rough drafts of a bunch of stuff, but the master tracks, the finalized versions, gone. Wow. Stolen out of the And wall. they've never resurfaced. No, they, I think someone leaked them back in like 2015, 2016. Huh. Finally saw the internet. Um, but Cigarettes and Valentines takes on this mythical status, and Green Day, that's the nadir. That's mm. when Billy Joe actually texts uh, Mike Durrett, their bass at one point, he's like, do you even want to be a band at this point? Right. Like, what do we got? Right. We've which just wasted all the studio time. We're wasting our money, wasting everyone's time. You know, it's mm-hmm. they've. I think they fulfilled their contractual obligations to Warner Brothers because they put out four mm-hmm. albums by this point. But like, well, so they, who keeps it going? Does the, Dern answer? The myth. The myth is, and again, I don't. I think this is probably largely true because these guys have no reason to to really lie about this creation myth. Is, uh. Mike is left alone in the studio one day. Like mm-hmm. Trey is working on divorce proceedings at the time and mm-hmm. Billy is just kind of freaking out. Yeah. And Mike writes uh one of the segments of uh Homecoming mm-hmm. off of off of American Idiot. He writes, "I fell asleep while watching Spike TV." It's he's literally just him sitting alone playing his bass talking about I'm totally alone. None of my buddies are here. This sucks. I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. I've got six cups of coffee in me. Yeah. Why am I even staying awake? Who cares? Mm-hmm. And that, Billy kind of writes another piece, another piece, another piece, and, and Trey writes a piece, and suddenly you've got Homecoming. And they're like, okay, this is something. We don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but it's something. Mm-hmm. But it sounds a lot like The Who. Yeah, which is where I get to jump in yeah. and say that, yes, in the early 90s, as all this was breaking, I was busy uh, getting married, and then uh, very quickly, you know, starting the career and having you. Uh, very exciting times for me, but I wasn't in a very punk frame of mind. And so I was watching Green Day, but from afar. You know, I wasn't trying to keep up with this. They're on some of the old VHS tapes you recorded of Mystery Science Theater 3000 because there was a commercial break that was trying to sell you on buying the pay-per-view of... Of Woodstock. Of I Woodstock. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember that very specifically because yeah. as we... 
there was a brief overlap period where we're still watching those VHS tapes, and I'm just getting into Green Day. I'm like, whoa, that's Green Day when Billy had, per- had blue hair. You know? <laughs> yes. No, so, and I appreciated what they were doing, but, like, I wasn't up to my eyeballs uh, in the music. And it, it's this stage that we're about to talk about that really made me start to pay attention because you guys were paying attention. And then I started to go back retroactively just like you did, uh, looking at some of their other stuff, digging deeper into their catalog. And then when some of my friends of my generation, right, Generation X, uh, on social media started to really uh, diss Green Day and be like, oh, they're just doing old riffs from The Who, I've been defending them every single step of the way. Because if you know uh, from listening to the podcast, you know, we believe that we take ideas and themes and carry them forward, right? I mean, we can't just have the who from 50 years ago. That can't be the last thing that rock and roll fans ever listen to, right? It has to carry forward. So I love covers of songs that I love. I love to hear uh, themes and uh, other bands do things like Rockabilly. Yes, I know how Rockabilly got started. I know who the Giants are. I just bought more Wanda Jackson two weeks ago because I'm trying to fill in my catalog of the classic Rockabilly. But I love the Stray Cats and I love all the people who are carrying it forward today. There are Rockabilly concerts going on in California this weekend. Yeah, there's an incredible straight through line from The Who to The Clash, to Green Day. We love that. It's a straight line. It's very easy to trace. You know, The Clash uh, are opening for The Who. The Who. In the mid-80s. Shea Stadium, yeah. It's a great concert album. Yeah, and and you can just see how that would go naturally to Green Day playing arenas and, and, and putting, you know, what is it? However, like fifty thousand people in Milton Keynes or whatever. You know, well, so let's like... we'll get to that. Let's let's go back into the studio and tell us what you know about the creation of American Idiot because it just uh, kind of springs from there, from that initial kind of uh, once they figure out that they want to make it a rock opera and they want to make it a story about a, a set of characters, and and they want to make it political. Yep. It it just kind of coalesces from there, is my understanding. You know, it, it's a they're being produced by. Um, I think it's Rob Rob Cavallo, their longtime producer. Uh, so you know it's the tools they know how to work with. Uh, the director of all the music videos for American Idiot is Samuel Bayer, I think, who they worked with before. Like this is, this isn't really a huge. I, I speak of it as a stylistic break because it's an aesthetic break from them because they're all dressed in almost uniforms. You know, they're all in black. Mm-hmm. You know, they went, they, they started working out. They all had like very specific meal plans designed for them. You know, Billy was conscious that he was getting kind of fat towards the end of the Pop Disaster Tour because he was still treating it like he was 22 years old. And he he's was. not anymore. Right. So you know, this he's, album He's really... 22 years old when Dookie comes out in 1994. So this is 10 years later. He's in his 30s now. Yeah. And that's a big change. He's got kids. Mm-hmm. He's married. He's mm-hmm. responsible. And he's still, but there are still clearly that there's that, that urge to be uh, dangerous and right. to be scary to people in positions of authority. And I think that's where uh, you get songs like Minority, which is very important and powerful, but Minority is very isolated on Warning as an album. Yes, it's it really, is. It really sounds like it could be a cut on American Idiot, but it's not. It's not. You know, you're getting hints of this stuff previously, but here's where the ideas coalesce. And they coalesce. We're just going to go track by track, just taking it from the top. It coalesces with American Idiot, which is just this incredible three-minute blast of punk rock music. 
you know, they film the music video for it in an abandoned warehouse. It's minimalist. It's angry. It's fast. Well, but structurally, the song is almost a mini opera itself. Yeah. Right? And so I love how this echoes the things that The Who did uh, and, and some of the great political albums of the 60s and 70s. And I want to make sure that everybody remembers the time in our country in which it was recorded, right? So it's fascinating that Green Day was really kind of at the end of their fame. Uh, they were at this real low point in their career when they start to make this. But, you know, we had just gone through the 2004 election when all kinds of people worked really hard to fix the mistake that happened in 2000, right, with the hanging chads and just all the bizarreness in Florida. And yet W gets reelected. There was a huge... Uh, let down, right, of, of a certain segment of the American population was like, oh my God, we really did everything we could and we lost again, right? Yep. So there's there's a real darkness and blackness and, and you know, the Iraq war is in full uh, force and then suddenly... And this is when the Dixie Chicks are getting like yelled at for being ashamed that, you know, W comes from their state. Like, we're really in a very heightened age of neo-McCarthyism. Well, it's not that just that they're getting yelled at. The Dixie Chicks really—they're losing sponsorships. They're—they're they're getting, getting blacklisted. They're getting blacklisted for speaking against uh, the W administration. And then here comes Green Day. Yeah, and Green Day is in a position to not care anymore. <laughs> yeah, they've made their money. That's right. They don't really have a dog in this fight, other than the fact that they care, and that's the only dog you need to have in the fight. You know, they're mm-hmm. not worried about as as. As all really great artists will tell you, they're making stuff for them. They're saying what they want to say. They're not out there to be provocative. The provocation comes from the fact that they're saying something that is powerful because they, they made it, you know, for themselves. It's 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 just the the first I mean that just playing just having American Idiot being the lead single off the album is an incredibly dangerous maneuver. Yes. I mean, he's 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 uh you know, he's calling himself a slur by the second verse. You know, he's, he's, uh, incre- you know, it's just so dangerous. It's a really, really dangerous three minute punk rock song. And, you know, it's, I actually, I draw comparisons back to, uh, Elvis's Costello's radio, radio. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, okay, you don't think we should market this and this isn't palatable because it's calling out the hypocrisies of the system. Let's make it the lead single. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And we're still having this debate today, which is why I think this is a classic album that should be listened to for generations. Because literally, I'm watching this this week in 2018. This argument, you know, on the left of like, well, you know, we shouldn't be yelling at the people on the other side. You know, we're never going to win the Trump voters if you call them names. And we've got to try and understand, you know. Green Day didn't care. The Green Day took the exact opposite approach. Which is, um, no, we're going to call this out because this is really dangerous stuff. And if you try and treat other people as rational agents when they are racists, they are uh, ignorant, they're proud of their ignorance, then we're all at risk. Yeah. Right? If you let those people anywhere near the controls when they don't care about science and they're just waving the flag and they don't even know what they're waving it for. And meanwhile, Americans are dying in Iraq. Because of this empty, hollow, ignorant patriotism, uh, no, we don't have to be nice to that. No, and Green Day isn't nice, and it makes them chart like hell. And and because they spoke for a giant chunk of the country yeah. that needed at that particular moment 
They needed that voice. Yeah, because, like, what else is on the radio? Tim McGraw? Like, who, who cares? <laughs> well, and we had just lost the election. Uh, they, we needed and, this and, album. Yeah, and, and, you know, what else is on terrestrial rock radio at the time? Like, Nickelback? Like, no one is... No, nobody. You know, this is, like, the height of that really horrible alt-rock garbage nonsense. I mean, this has yeah. been, like, Creed and Stained and, yeah. you know... I mean, I love Linkin Park, but, you know, by 04, they were getting insufferable. Like, it's mm-hmm, it's... Mm-hmm. Well, a lot just, of self-pity crawling in my skin like yeah, you know, and Green, Green Day's care. here to be like we're not here to we're not here to look into our navels we're here to punch you in the face and yeah. that's awesome uh, second track is Jesus of Suburbia which is a seven minute you know thesis statement about the the actual storyline of what this album is going to be I, I think as the years go by I, I really do care less and less about the story elements here the, mm-hmm. the narrative they're trying to weave about the Jesus of Suburbia leaving Suburbia, going to the city, being corrupted, and returning kind of in tatters, but wiser. Mm. I don't really care. I'm I'm here for for the political stuff that that allows this storyline allows them to say. Mm-hmm. I like that it's a rock opera that has kind of a story arc to it. But like by the time they had made American Idiot a musical, I thought this guy's you're missing the point of what your own work. It's not that. You know the story. People didn't latch onto the storyline of American Idiot. People latched onto the, the political politics. Yeah. I think. Well, so we should we talk about you watching the musical? Yeah, I got, got a chance I, I got to see, see the musical. Um, and I think the musical is absolutely it was absolutely deserved to exist. It absolutely was worth a shot. Um, I think it's especially uh, very potent because it was it, they were showing they they this musical launched on Broadway like well after. Uh, you know, Obama got elected. The, the mm-hmm. context is completely different. Yeah. But it was still selling out. It was still doing really well. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I, I think, I'd like to think that people were still angry. Mm-hmm. You know, that that like, Green Day still had something to say with this same album in a different context. But I think watching the musical, they really overemphasized the characters of this story when I think it might be much more potent as a musical if you just take each one of these songs as like isolated scenes. And you were to just try and tell, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, not to jump ahead, but the next track is Holiday. Like, Holiday, I don't want a storyline for that. Just throw a bunch of really scary imagery up on the screen like they did in concert. Mm-hmm. You know, throw up the, yeah. the American flags hung horizontally like, you know, in in, in Berlin, you know. And, mm-hmm. and you have to lean into Billy Joe screaming in the breakdown of the song, Sieg hail to the president like right. you know it's he, he just compared w to hitler mm-hmm. and he did it on a single that like reached i think number three <laughs> yeah. like you got to lean into that man you right. that has right. to be your lead not you know whatever narrative is going on <laughs> well narrative is how you get the art to carry forward i mean i think the pitch yeah. to the musical was we're going to try and balance this so that maybe people will be watching this musical 10 years from now but I don't think that's no the case. no it's not it's not up anymore it's yeah. you know it's it was a good experiment but anyway we're sounding really down on it but it, again we're going just going by track by track I mean holiday is a barn burner it's still played in concert by them isolated it has all of its potency um, it has a remarkable uh, section where uh, Billy Joe can kind of modify things as he needs to based on where they are playing, you know, where he says, instead of the representative from California has the floor, he can say wherever they are. Right, right. You know, Billy Joe is a really, really great, I mean, he's been on tour now for, 
near continuous what 30 years at this point yeah, you know yeah. so he knows exactly how to work these crowds and yeah he's great in concert yeah watching and, him work the crowd is amazing yeah so and and holiday is just a monster of a track and you can like it because it's just a a great rock song it's such a great you know uh, well, you know head first dive into the pool sort of thing but you can also revere it for its political message well which it's is, funny to you know we instantly as soon as they released the uh, live concert of the american idiot tour which is uh, recorded in england yeah <laughs> you know it's kind of funny when he's like can i have the representative of uh, england yeah. <laughs> yeah all right it doesn't quite translate but you know what man sounded like a great crowd and bullet in a bible is a fantastic concert cd you gotta yeah, get that that's a great cd and a great live concert film as well yeah filmed over two takes at the milton keys arena which is just huge gigantic you know, it's just this sea of people who have come there to see Green Day. And I remember Brandon Flowers from The Killers being very dismissive of it because he was he thought it was very um, basically pansy of them to say all this confrontational stuff about America and film their concert video in England. Hmm. And I I just think it's I think it's like, what do you want them to do? Perform it on the White House lawn? Like they Well, we literally saw that concert yeah, in Washington DC. Yeah, we saw them in, in Washington DC and, and it was just as confrontation. Yeah, it was very the geographic location doesn't really matter. Here. Yeah. They're they're saying the same stuff everywhere. And the yeah. internet's going at this point, so you know, yeah. it's not like they're really not being hiding. limited. Yeah, yeah they're not yeah, hiding. Yeah. So um, Boulevard of Broken Dreams is, a, is the first kind of, I would say, deliberately slower track on the album. Yep. Uh, structurally very similar to Oasis's Wonderwall, uh, mm-hmm. to the point where it's been mashed up with Wonderwall and um, Writing to Reach You by a band called Travis. Hmm. Um, you know, and also uh, Dream On. It's very structurally similar. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I like Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I mean, it, it has reached a little bit of a meme status now, just because it is very self-pitying and introverted yeah. and sounds very uh sounds a lot like their opening band for the american idiot tour which was my chemical romance you know they're hanging Is out it? with the emos yeah their opening band didn't open the concert we saw we saw kaiser chiefs yeah 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 but that was years later i mean we're talking like oh four oh five oh, right. again, we saw them in like 2010 dude those five we saw them on tour for a completely separate album I thought we saw them for this. No, we saw them for um, uh, the 2007 follow-up, um, oh. which uh, 21st Century Breakdown. We okay. did not see them for the American Idiot leg of the tour. Okay. Nope. 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 Um, so, I mean, there's also stuff that they just, you know, probably... But, but yeah, no, so they're sounding here very a lot like, you know, My Chemical Romance, uh, mm-hmm. AFI, you know, a lot of the... Mm-hmm. AFI actually opened for them the second time we saw them, and AFI really stuck to their heavier rock catalog because i think they, they just know that the emo stuff had kind of fallen out a little yeah. bit the bottom kind of and and the emo stuff has been picked up on and, and carried forward by bands like sorority noise and whatnot yeah. you know all this stuff lives on it's just you know it splinters and people change and the mutis the, the musicians yeah. change it I don't rises know. and falls yeah, yeah. Um, but Boulevard of Broken Dreams is very well. You know, it wins, I think, single of the year in like Does 06 oh. or something. Like, yeah, that's probably my least favorite track on the album. It's just, it's kind of slow, plotting. Yeah. It doesn't really do anything. Uh, I'll still listen to it, though. Uh, my least favorite track on the album is next, is uh, which is Are We the Waiting? Uh, it does nothing for me. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's pretty flat. But it's a great call and response live. Yes, but they only ever played it live on that tour because it is, it's like a two-minute, it just eats, eats, eats time. It's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, we could be doing something else. Um <laughs> And then, but I love We Are the Waiting simply because if you listen to that, two minutes in, it jumps straight into St. Jimmy, which is probably yeah. the most storyline focused song aside from the seven minute tracks like Jesus of Suburbia and Homecoming. 
Um, Saint Jimmy is really an introduction to this character, this this corrupting force of the Jesus of suburbia. Also, maybe an alternate persona. It's not quite clear. Um, maybe a little, you know, Batman vigilante sort of thing going on <laughs> here. Um, and it's an incredibly potent track. It's just it's just speed rock, punk rock for for two minutes and mm-hmm. melts your face off. And it's great. Saint yeah. Jimmy's an incredible track. Uh, Give Me Novocaine's another slower one, uh, very much tied into kind of the uh, earlier tracks of uh, the slower stuff of We Are the Waiting and uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I listen to the one this one too often, but that's just because I feel like this one's really for the people who have perhaps used illegal narcotics. And I <laughs> myself have not utilized such substances, so I don't really feel... You know, any, any, the numbing sensations that he's talking well, about. Right. Then. Again, all of this is based on this particular moment in American political history. And, yeah. The, and and the, people just didn't know how to deal with W second term. Yeah. So the, the numbing, I suppose, ties in with the political stuff. Yeah. Uh, She's a Rebel is another very storyline focused tract, uh, trying to build up what's her name as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels a little, feels a little poppy to me these days. Like I go back and I listen to it. It sounds a lot more like some of the more recent stuff. I feel like it could fit in quite well on Uno Dos or Trey. Oh, yeah. Um, which I like. Which you like, and that'll be another podcast. But <laughs> but it it, it uh, this is definitely a spot where I I, I miss tracks like uh, that were cut from the album called like uh, Governor is a great one. Oh. Governor is a great track uh, cut from this album. Um, Favorite Son is like a direct. It's probably the most direct. Uh, attack against W specifically mm-hmm. outside of Holiday, but Favorite Son was cut from the album. Uh, it's on, it's in the musical. They reinserted it uh. back into its order. I don't remember where it's placed, mm. but Favorite Son is is uh, a good track. I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a little bit of a Chuck Berry vibe to it, but uh, yeah, she's a rebel's fine. Uh, Extraordinary Girl, I think, accomplishes a lot of the aims of She's a Rebel in a much more unique way. I feel like because mm. it's not a slow track. Mm-hmm. But it's not a rip roar and rock your face off thing. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's got harmonies. It's almost like a Beach Boys track. Hmm. You know, it's it's a lot more even. I like I like Extraordinary Girl a lot. Hmm. Um, and then followed up by Letter Bomb, which is a monster. Love Letter Bomb. I mean, the opening of Letter Bomb, where uh, I forget who they got. They got a a fairly famous uh, singer who wasn't affiliated with them in any way to just sing the opening of Nobody Likes yeah. You. Everyone left you. They're all out without you having fun. And then just to launch into that next segment. And it foreshadows what's going to happen in Homecoming. Mm -hmm. Because that refrain will come back for Homecoming. And it's... I Man, I'm nuts about Letterbomb. That's a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, man. Wake Me Up When September Ends, which a lot of people interpreted as a song about 9-11. It's about the death of Billy Joe's father, actually, because that was when... He, you know, his father passed away in September, but it works either way. Because again, works either way. Yeah. you know, it's a fi- all art is fifty percent work of the artist, fifty percent interpretation. Right. And a lot of people read that as a nine eleven thing, and they're perfectly fine. I, to I it. still read it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're still living in a post nine eleven world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we are dealing with the trauma still. Yeah. And so I think that of all the songs, I mean, uh, American Idiot is great. The whole album should be listened to today. I think it's more vital than ever, given the, the current politics. Uh, but Wake Me Up When September Ends, I just think is poetry. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of Crowded House in, in its mm. kind of simplicity and, and metaphorical power. Yep. Um, yeah. 
And then you launch straight into Homecoming, which uh, is kind of the, the falling action of the storyline. But it still has jumpy parts. It's still got rocking parts. It's where Trey gets to use his authorial pen for the only time in this album, which is hilarious because it's just about Trey. Like, it seems it's separate from the entire rest of the album where he's just singing about, I've got a rock and roll band, i got a rock and roll life, i got another ex-girlfriend and another ex-wife. Like, you know, it's... it's yeah. it, you know, it doesn't seem to fit. Yeah. So, But you know what? We love Trey for that. You know, and you got to have him in there. Uh, yeah. And then it ends with What's Your Name? And What's Your Name is a very... Very big bummer of a track. I think I listen to that maybe once a year. You know, this <laughs> idea of, you know, these lost connections, these yeah. friends who you're so close with and they mean so much to you in the moment. And then eventually you stop calling and then you stop texting and you stop writing on each other's Facebook walls. And what do you got? Yeah. There's nothing there. Yeah. You know, maybe seeing them again in person would make everything better. Maybe it wouldn't. Yeah. So. People just drift apart, and that's something that I uh, am learning to how, how to grapple with, and, and uh, What's-Her-Name helps with that, but you know, it's also kind of a kick in the teeth, and it's a very uh, melancholic, sad ending to this album that is full of fire and fury yeah. and anger, and right. now the problem with anger, even when it's directed to the right sources, is you still have to pick up the pieces after you're done, even right. if you accomplish your aims. If you smash mm-hmm. the thing you want to smash... Okay, you can't just leave the rubble there. Right. You got to pick it up. So right. well said. But it's a beautiful album, totally in the canon. Go listen to it. You can draw a straight line between uh, uh, the Who's rock operas, uh, London Calling, yep. American Idiot. There's a straight line there, yep. and um, you know Green Day goes on to do more things in this vein. I mean, they've really found a very comfortable home because of this album as yes. the Who of American rock. Yes, and I love them for it. As a matter yep. of fact. All right, well, uh, I hope that people will be listening to American Idiot for uh, generations to come. Although, on the other hand, I, I wish that there weren't a reason still to listen to these things. Special encore presentation. <laughs> yeah, post-2016, special encore presentation. I got to tell you, the 20, whatever they do for the 20th anniversary in, in, in uh, 2024 is going to be special. I, I hope then they perform on the White House lawn. I hope, I hope... <laughs> 20 years after the album gets released, you know, Green Day can perform American Idiot on the White House lawn. That would be exciting. That would be cool. So, All right. Excellent. But, well, God bless Green Day for giving us American Idiot. Oh, yes. God bless American Idiot. So, <laughs> All right. I'm Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this, this has been the Re-View Podcast. Podcast.